Lord, open my lips that my mouth may proclaim your praise. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We're looking at um, Paul's letter to Timothy today, um, avoiding the unjust manager for now. Um, that's one of the more difficult parables of our Lord to exegete, to, uh, but we'll look at that a little bit in the context of next Sunday's parable as well. So we will go there, but we'll go there next week. But I was drawn to this uh, reading from uh, Paul to Timothy. This is part of the pastoral letters, the letters that probably the last letters that Paul writes. Um, He's in jail now for another time, and this is the uh, this is the imprisonment unto death. He will be uh, killed, uh, we believe, under Nero, uh, beheaded because he was a Roman citizen and therefore not crucified. But he's writing to Timothy. Well, we know a little bit about Timothy. He's a young man. Um, He's a young man who is half Greek, half Jewish, who uh, Paul picks up on his missionary journey, uh, on one of his missionary journeys uh, to modern-day Turkey, that area. And uh, he picks him up, and he's, Paul is a mentor to Timothy, his disciple. We know um, Timothy is very young, and uh, uh, so uh, Paul takes him under his wing. In fact, when he leaves him somewhere and he writes to him, he says um, to, the, to the congregation, you know, take care of him. And he says to Timothy, don't let your age get in the way of your authority in the church. Uh, We also know that Timothy, that Timothy is also, um, sorry, (laughs) (laughs) we know that Timothy has a funny tummy. He has a jippy tummy uh, because Paul also writes to him to say, take a little bit of wine with your water (laughs) so that you can uh, bump up your blood a little bit, you know, so that you you remain healthy while you're in this ministry. So here is Timothy. He's been left in Ephesus. He's been left in charge of the church in Ephesus. And Paul writes to him to stay there. Just stay in your ministry there in this place. And he says, stay there because, as I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus that you might charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so then he goes on. This is why he's left Timothy there in charge of this 
of this congregation that he loves so dearly as he goes on. He never stays, well, he stays one and a half years in some places, a couple of years in others, but he's always moving on to spread the gospel. And then he uh, leaves people in charge. He's left Timothy in charge at Ephesus. And then he goes on to tell, uh, to reiterate something about his own ministry. But that, as Paul is wont to do, we get to chapter 2, and then he says, first of all, Um, So, you know, this is his charge to Timothy. We've gotten to uh, chapter 2. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. In other words, don't do anything, Timothy, until you've prayed. Your entire foundation of your ministry is to be settled on prayer. Pray before you act. Pray before you speak. Ministry has to be founded in prayer. We know that because that's what Jesus did. Over and over again, we hear that he would withdraw to a deserted place and pray. All night long, sometimes. There was only way, one way in which Jesus was sustained for the three years of his ministry, and that was to spend considerable time in prayer, in communion with his Holy Father. He couldn't continue in what he was doing without that time in prayer. And it continued with the disciples. The disciples continued that way of being in ministry. They did everything in prayer. Indeed, after the ascension of our Lord, at the very beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, we hear they were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. They continued in prayer in their life together. And when they started to be taken uh, before the magistrates and sometimes imprisoned, and yet there were healings taking place in the name of the Lord Jesus, then they prayed that they would have strength to continue that ministry for the continuation of the signs and the wonders so that the gospel would spread in prayer. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they realized the church has gotten bigger. 3,000 in one day on the day of Pentecost are gathered into this community of Christians. And so administration kicks in. Administration and pastoral needs. And so the disciples get together and and realize that, that they have a task and that their task is prayer and preaching the word. And so they say, set aside for us deacons, faithful people. They will be the ones responsible for the pastoral needs of sorting out the Greek widows and the Jewish widows and who's getting the food and who isn't and how the administration is going to go on in the community because they say, um, we for our part will devote ourselves to prayer and to serving the word. And then they prayed and laid hands on the deacons ordaining them, if you will, for that work. But it wasn't just the Christians who were praying. 
It was those outside. We hear about the Roman centurion, about Cornelius praying, and he's praying at exactly the same time as the Lord has, has drawn Peter to pray on a rooftop. And, uh, and Peter uh, sees this sheet coming down, and he's, he learns from this vision and this prayer time um, that it's not only the Jews but also the Gentiles don't call profane what the Lord has called holy. At the same time, Cornelius goes out and sends out people, come and speak to us. And Cornelius' whole household is converted to the faith. So prayer is going on. It's so very important. Peter prays while he's in prison. The church is praying while he's in prison. When Paul and Barnabas are sent off from Antioch, Antioch in Syria, do you know there was a church in Syria before Paul met the Lord? That's an ancient, ancient Christian church in Syria that continues to this day, although decimated. But in Antioch, that's a sending church. It sends Paul and Barnabas out on the missionary journeys, but never until they have prayed. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Nothing is done without prayer. Paul, on his journeys, as he's going and he's leaving people in charge, says after they'd appointed elders, presbyteros, where we get our word priest, for them in each church with prayer and fasting, they entrusted them to the Lord. They prayed over them, left them into the Lord's hands. When they're in prison, they pray to the Lord. Then he never ceases praying for all of those communities that he's founded on these missionary journeys. Can you imagine what his prayer list is like? I'm Paul spending a lot of time in prayer. I'm never ceasing in prayer for you. And then about Epaphras, who has come... He says, he wrestles in prayer. It's not just that he's naming, okay, Lord, I'm lifting up the church in Philippi, I'm lifting up the church in Corinth, I'm lifting up the church in Athens, I'm lifting up... No, he's wrestling in prayer for them. He's protecting them in prayer. He's seeking the Lord's protection in prayer. He's seeking that the gospel goes out. He is wrestling in prayer for the people. Paul to the Thessalonians, we always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face. If he's going out, he prays before he's going out. If he's in a place, he is constant in prayer for those who are around. He is constantly praying. I am hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. See, prayer makes a difference. It made a difference to the early church. Through prayer, they were given wisdom for their decisions. Through prayer, they were released from captivity. Through prayer, people were healed. Through prayer, people received peace. So if Jesus, if the disciples, if the early church did nothing except that they prayed first. Surely so must we. We must be a people who do not act before we pray. But we must pray in all things, in all places, 
in all situations, before we speak sometimes, we must offer it up to the Lord in prayer. Jesus tells us how to pray. He says we're to persevere in prayer. He even has a parable about that, you remember. We are to be persevering in prayer, not giving up. We're to pray for strength. We're to pray in secret. We're to pray in faith. And a large component of our prayer life must be forgiveness because prayer, the power of prayer, is released both when we receive forgiveness, we confess our sins and we receive forgiveness, but when we forgive others as well. The tubes are unclogged. There is power in prayer. Forgiveness is part of our prayer life. has to be. And Paul says, when we don't know how to pray, don't worry, because the Holy Spirit, who resides in us, will pray on our behalf because the Holy Spirit knows all of our needs knows everything about us and prays on our behalf. He continues to say that we must persevere in prayer. We're to pray for all the saints. That means we're to pray for all of the Christians, not just the Episcopal Christians or the Anglican Christians. We're to pray for all Christians, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world. We're to offer them up in prayer and never more so than when they are being persecuted that we have to be the ones who stand and pray in, in power for them. To pray without ceasing, says St. Paul. To not worry, but to offer everything up in prayer. We're to pray with expectation. We're to pray expectantly that the Lord is hearing our prayer and is answering those prayers as he sees fit in his absolute goodness and for our wholeness. James says we're to pray if we're suffering. We're to praise God if we're cheerful. We're to ask others to pray over the sick. We're to pray for each other. Jude says we're to build ourselves up on the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. Peter says we're to be disciplined in prayer. Be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. We are to pray at all times. Indeed, it's the vow we make. In our baptismal covenant and if we were baptized as infants, when we are confirmed, we make the same vow. Part of that baptismal covenant are questions about the Apostles' Creed and our responses to our belief in the one God and Trinity of persons. But then we move from that to what we will do as Christians. Will you continue in the apostles' teaching and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in the prayers? And we all respond, we will. So we must. Because prayer is God's using us and working through us for the expansion of his kingdom. I share a story with you. There's a, a missionary who had, uh, was on furlough in, uh, in his home church in Michigan. 
He was uh, serving in a small field hospital in Africa, and every two weeks he had to travel uh, by bicycle through the jungle to a nearby city for supplies. He said it was a journey of two days and required camping overnight at the halfway point. He said, on one of these journeys, I arrived in the city where I planned to collect money from a bank, purchase medicine and supplies, and then begin my two-day journey back to the field hospital. Upon arrival in the city, I observed two men fighting, one of whom had been seriously injured. I treated him for his injuries and at the same time talked to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. I then traveled two days camping overnight and arrived home without incident. Two weeks later, I repeated my journey and upon arriving in the city, I was approached by the young man I treated. He told me that he'd known I carried money and medicines. He said, some friends and I followed you into the jungle knowing you would camp overnight the last time. We planned to kill you and take your money and drugs. But just as we were about to move into your camp, we saw that you were surrounded by 26 armed guards. At this I laughed, said the missionary, and said I was certainly all alone in that jungle campsite. The young man pressed the point, however, and said, no, sir, I was not the only person to see the guards. My five friends also saw them, and we all counted them. It was because of those guards that we were afraid and left you alone. At this point in the sermon, one of the men in the Michigan congregation jumped to his feet and interrupted the missionary and asked if he could tell him exact time of day that this happened. The missionary told the congregation the date, and the man who interrupted him told this story. He said, on the night of your incident in Africa, it was morning here, and I was preparing to go and play golf. I was about to putt when I felt the urge to pray for you. In fact, the urging of the Lord was so strong, I called men in this church to meet with me here in the sanctuary to pray for you. Would all of those men who met with me on that day stand up? The men who had met together to pray that day stood up. The missionary wasn't concerned with who they were. He was too busy counting how many men he saw. There were 26. I know this to be true. Because some of you come to me and say, you were really on my heart on such and such a day and in such and such a time. And I felt the Lord calling me to pray for you. And over and over again, it has been at a time of need. See, the Lord calls us to pray for each other. Because there is only one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus Christ. He is our Savior. In your bulletins, you'll find a sheet that looks like this. I know many of you already have your prayer routines, but if you don't, praying through the cross like this through the mediator who is Jesus Christ is a wonderful way to pray. First of all, we look up. The first thing that we do is to praise God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Begin by praising God, praising him for who he is, praising him for what he has done. 
In scripture, we see his great deeds in the lives of others. You know, Joyce Sutton has published now three volumes of Magnify the Living Lord. If you don't have them, you can find them online. They're all on a blog online. You can follow links on the website or you can call the office and Terry can send you them. It's a great way to praise the Lord with what he has done. You can praise the Lord through the Psalms. Just walk through the 150 Psalms and every time you see the word praise, just read it. They're wonderful places. It's the prayer book of the Bible to go and praise the Lord. Praise him for his names. I've just listed a few. He is creator. He is deliverer. He is everlasting father, fortress, prince of peace, God of the angel armies, guide, hiding place, holy, 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 the great I am, our refuge, king, healer, shepherd, rock, shield, spring of living water. Doesn't that just expand your image of God? Praise him for who he is for his holiness and his might, and then move to thanksgiving. We oftentimes go straight to, Lord, I really need this today. But if you praise him first, if you acknowledge his sovereignty and his great power and his authority in your life, and then count your blessings every day, count where he has blessed you, where he has been in your life. Remember those times. And then if you don't, ask the Lord to reveal those times where you were unaware. And yet when he was there, and he blessed you. And move from that to confession. In all humility, bring all of your sins to the Lord. For he says, if we confess our sins, he was faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Seek the God who loves you and forgives you. Ask him to reveal to you those hidden sins that you don't know, that you can't remember. And then just ask his forgiveness. There's a wonderful portion in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Give me the joy of your saving health again and sustain me with your bountiful spirit. Confess your sins to God. And then at the center of the cross, where Jesus hung and died for everyone, for the whole world. Follow on what Paul says to Timothy. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone. And then he goes on for kings, for all of those in authority. There is no saviour but Christ. We can't look to politicians, to kings, to those in authority as a savior. There's only one. But we can sustain them and, and pour God's power onto them by praying for them. You know, sometimes we can look at the news and we can be so disheartened with what we see going on around the world. Pray over what you see on the TV screen. 
If you see people being killed, if you see violence, if you see devastation, if you see people hurt, if you see people in poverty, pray over those images. Pray as you're driving down the streets. If you see somebody in a wheelchair, if you see somebody begging, if you can't stop the car, if you're driving on, pray over them. There is great power in prayer. Pray for the welfare of the world. Pray for the nation and all in authority. Pray for the concerns of the local community. For all Christians around the world, especially those who are being persecuted for their faith. Pray for the ministries and parishioners here in the Church of the Good Shepherd. I can't minister, certainly unless I spend my time in prayer, but I need your prayers. The vestry needs your prayers. We need a covering of prayer over the buildings, over the grounds, over everything, over everything we do, that we're, we're walking where God wants us to walk, not where we want to push open a door in our own strength. Pray for the church. Pray for those who are suffering. Pray for those who are in any kind of trouble. Be persistent in prayer. And then at the foot of the cross, kneel at the foot of the cross, where our Lord's blood comes and cleanses us anew. Paul says, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. Be specific. Yes, God knows all of your needs. He knows everything about you. But he delights that you come to him. Those of you who have children know that when they're little, they'll come with everything. They'll come with a boo-boo on their knee. They'll come with all that's going on. But as they grow older, they don't come anymore. And you know things are going on in their lives. Can I help? And oftentimes, I'm okay, mum. But you know something's going on and you almost probably know exactly what it is, but you can't talk to them until they come to you first. And then when they do, they say, Mom, I've got this stuff going on. Can I talk to you about it? Doesn't your heart just sing? Because then their ears are open to hear any kind of wisdom that you might have. You just love it when the children come. When they're older and they come and they want that conversation, the same is with God. He just delights when we come to him with all of who we are, our brokenness, those things that are heavy on our heart. We just come to the Lord in prayer. Then we close our prayer time with a prayer our Lord taught us to pray, the Our Father. And then at the back, I've, I've clipped in for you this prayer from Ephesians for protection. I have to say, this came, many of you will remember Jane Medill. Uh, she was one of our prayer warriors. Um, I've changed it a little bit, but it came to me from George, who, uh, from, from Jane. And, and uh, so I, I want to encourage you with this ending here. Paul says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. Put on the whole armor of God 
so that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. For our struggle is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, so that you may be able to withstand on that evil day. And having done everything to stand firm, stand therefore, fasten the belt of truth around your waist, Put on the breastplate of righteousness. As shoes for your feet, put on whatever will make you ready to proclaim the gospel of peace. With all these, take the shield of faith which you, which, with which you will be able to quench all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And let us be a people who pray. Let us be a people of deep prayer. Amen.